0: This is The Guardian.
1: Today, the row over the biggest solar farm in the US and what it tells us about the climate crisis. Oliver Millman is an environment reporter for The Guardian in the US. And that means he's always searching out the innovations that will help the country meet its climate goals.
0: I became aware that what was turning out to be the largest solar project in US history was unfolding in this unremarkable flat corn farmland of northern Indiana. It was called the Mammoth Solar Project, named after the fact that nearby a large mastodon was found, preserved in peat.
1: This mammoth solar project will cost $1.5 billion. The people developing it claim it will eventually generate enough power for almost a quarter of a million homes. And local farmers will make money from it by loaning their land, on which a vast expanse of gleaming black solar panels will be built, tilted towards the sun.
0: It's enormous. Uh, The plan size is around 13,000 acres, which is about the size of Manhattan.
1: But Indiana isn't Manhattan. It's a Republican heartland. And the prospect of giving over thousands of acres of farmland to generating green energy is anathema to some of the people who live there. As Oliver travelled around the area, he found out just how far the dissenters are willing to go to try and prevent this development from happening.
0: I'd heard that there was this one wealthy woman who was going around trying to do anything she could to try and stop this project, And I'd heard that there was this office that she'd bought next to the solar developer that she'd done just to put kind of posters in the window to troll them, and that really did pique my interest and thought. It wasn't just another case of nimbyism. This was something something quite different.
1: President Joe Biden arrives at COP27 today. He'll pledge that the US, one of the most polluting nations in the world, will reach net zero by 2050. And to back up that claim, he'll need evidence that projects like Mammoth Solar are going ahead in earnest. The reality is more complicated than that. From The Guardian, I'm Hannah Moore. Today in Focus, Harvesting Sunshine a new culture war threatening Biden's plans for a green transition. Oliver, you've travelled to the area of northwest Indiana where this mammoth solar project's being built. And the communities it covers are called Stark County and Pulaski County. What are they like?
0: So these are very rural areas. These are um, small counties with just um, you know, a few thousand people in them each, really kind of small towns. We're talking about um, farms, essentially homesteads, part of the corn belt that stretches from Indiana west that produces about a fifth of the world's corn. When you drive around the place, there is very clear pro-Trump flags that fly from people's homes. Um, I'd say almost every other home had a Trump flag, pictures of Trump as Rambo, pictures of Joe Biden depicted in various unflattering ways. This is a deep red conservative heartland that is wary of liberalism and wary in, in some quarters of new developments such as the Mammoth Solar Project.
1: What makes the landscape suitable for developing a solar farm on?
0: Well, The developers were kind of drawn to this area for a few reasons. I mean, one of them was that it was open, clear land in terms of urban development, other kinds of development. It's very flat, which is what solar developers like. And it's also kind of a meeting point for these two big electrical grids that spread out across the U.S. So it's quite simple for them to hook up a solar farm to these transmission lines. And they saw this as the kind of ideal place to place what is the largest solar farm in U.S. history.
1: So who's behind the application then? Who's actually doing this developing?
0: It's a a company called Doral Renewables, which is an Israeli company. This is their first American venture.
1: Right. So what are the promises they're making to people then? What advantages do they say that this will bring to their lives?
0: So essentially, the sale from Doral is is a pretty simple one. It's, um, you know, if you want to lease your land to this project, um, you, you can. And they've um, signed agreements with dozens of, of landowners uh, in order to place the solar panels um, on their land. Um, and in, in return for this, um, not only will kind of clean energy be produced, which is obviously uh, better for the environment than burning coal or oil or gas, the Pulaski County and Stark County will be getting a significant amount of tax revenue. I mean, around a, a fifth of the revenue that Placer County generates through its income tax, uh, the equivalent of that would be generated by this every year. From the kind of county leadership point of view, the revenue is very much needed.
2: And so they're designed, the piles are designed for uh, a wind load, which I believe is about on 120 miles an hour. And then these brackets, there's going to be more of them on here is where we'll put our panels.
0: I was shown around the site, the solar farm, by Norm Welker, the farmer, and Kevin Parzik, the developer of the project. They showed me the, the scale of it. They showed me the poles being driven into the ground and where the panels would be affixed. There's
2: a system that monitors where the sun is, how much clouds and all, and rotates this thing to optimize solar production. Gotcha. I And each one is unique. Each one of these has its own logic, each motor. You guys want to kind of move on throughout the farm there? Yeah, Yeah. of course, yeah.
1: So the landowners that you've been speaking to, who are happy with this and have leased some of their land... What's convinced them that this was a great thing to do?
2: Well, the money helps, uh, of course. This is where all the money is. Once you once you start operating, yeah. the desire is to get as much out of it as you can, which is why
0: he's kind of leasing more than thousand acres in um, Stark County. He's got another five hundred acres in Plaquemine County. He'd like to at uh, least two, and he he's getting a thousand dollars an acre a year. So if you kind of do the maths on that, it's um, and Norm Welker's getting kind of a uh, million dollars um, north um, from from this project. Um, and that's kind of guaranteed inco- income over kind of decades uh, due to the contract signs. So he doesn't have to worry about the variable price of corn. He doesn't have to worry about, you know, the rains coming and, and washing out his crop. He's got a guaranteed income there, and he kind of said to me, "It's crazy money." He sees it as a profitable, natural extension of farming. Um, he's still able to farm the land underneath the solar panels once they're installed. So you could kind of grow potatoes there, or you could have sheep grazing there.
2: Well, now we're we're, we're bringing it back to the, you know, to the to the local production, smaller. How do I say yeah? smaller production areas.
0: So it's not like farming is completely extinguished in this land. You can argue it's a, is, as much as it's being attacked as being this unnatural and terrible um, imposition upon uh, this area of Indiana, You can also see why well, there's an argument that it's bringing back some kind of previous iteration of what the environment used to look like there.
1: And did you get the sense that Norm was really passionate about climate change before I mean was this something that he was engaged with before he was approached
0: no not at all this is not a place that's you're going to see Greta Thunberg um, turn up to at any time soon I mean this is not a hugely climate activist kind of place Um, a lot of people there you speak to them uh, dismissive of the science or or downplay the impacts
2: I, I spoke at some meetings I talked about climate change and a lot of the people said, look, why are you talking to me here in Indiana about climate change? I just, you know, I'm fine the way I am. And fair enough. So the key is really when you install something like this, there has to be some tang- tangible financial benefits to a community. Yeah. Rightfully
0: so. Climate change is not really on the radar of, of most people in this place. And, and Norm Welker, even though he's very much pro-solar, um, it, it, and, and except he, he accepts that climate change is happening and something needs to be done about it. When he's talking about the benefits of this, it's, uh, it's a financial benefit. But climate change is not the animating force um, here for, for, for those involved in this project.
1: Will the energy generated from the solar panels on Norm's land and on the land of the other neighbouring farmers, will that go back into the local community?
0: I mean, that's been a kind of point of contention there that that, um, the energy won't necessarily be used locally.
2: Here's the reality. There is no shortage of power in this county. The energy generated from this solar project will most likely not be used in our county as not needed. Uh, It will be exported out of the county.
0: And it's true that once it goes through an inverter and goes into the grid, it's then spread out. Um, throughout the the state, the region, it could even be sold further afield across the US.
1: Right, so that's one of the objections that people have raised about this project. What are some of the other problems that people have with it?
0: The opposition to this is being spearheaded by this uh, lady called uh, Connie Ehrlich. Hi, uh, the purpose for my talk tonight is to dispute some of the. Terms and uh, she's kind of starred herself as a defender of traditional farming practices of the rural way of life as it has been for generations in Pulaski County. And she's taken it upon herself to set up a kind of opposition group that's um, voiced all kinds of objections against this project. This is not
1: compatible with ag use.
2: Our comprehensive plan states protect prime agriculture land because of its importance to our economy and to the character of Plasca
0: County. And she's gone to quite extraordinary lengths in order to stop it too. She's a kind of wealthy woman. She doesn't live in the county even though she has a family farm there and she's used these resources to mobilize against this solar project. Her main objection is that it kind of defiles the area. It, It transforms it into a kind of pastoral idyllic farmland into something that's industrialized. Um, She talks bitterly of a kind of a black sea of glass being placed all over this farmland. Um, There are also objections that stray into uh, conspiracy theories or or pseudoscience. There's theories that the the solar panels will leach uh, toxins into the soil, that they will fry birds. Birds will fly overhead and somehow explode because of the sunlight that's been that will bounce off these solar panels um, and that it will provide a huge amount of noise and imposition to neighbours. Another kind of long-term objection that some people have in this group is that because it's taking farmland out of production, it will therefore create some kind of food security crisis because um, the area won't be able to provide enough corn uh, and other foodstuffs.
1: farmer, I take great pride in the beautiful land that God has blessed us with and believe it should stay used to grow crops. It's common knowledge that there's global concerns whether farmers in the future will be able to feed the growing population. So why take out more farmland?
0: There's a long, long list that this group has um, charged this project with um, when it comes to uh, the damage that it will supposedly do.
1: said that Connie Ehrlich the woman who's really spearheading the opposition against it doesn't actually live in the area itself she lives nearby why is it that she's become so passionate about this
0: yes she's become hugely passionate about this issue it's become seemingly her mission to, to stop this uh, she spends a lot of time on Facebook posting things like, you know, we need to protect America's farmland. It's being sacrificed for this kind of inefficient energy generation and foreigners' interest. So that seems to be her motivation. Although, you know, you speak to people who are involved in solar, who back this, who've tried to talk to her. And, and they kind of say she's kind of implacable that they've made various kind of concessions, various kind of compromises to... Move solar panels back from the edge of land so that people aren't disturbed by it, that They don't see them. There's kind of screening vegetation that's going to be built on the edge of the um, land so that people don't even have to
2: see them from the road. So people will say, "Well, it's not, it's not enough. Uh, it's not enough uh, screening." What's going to happen is um, there's going to be screening put in. There may be areas where people say, "You know what? We should put some more in there," and that will be done. But for the most part stuff is pretty set back from the roads.
0: It's but this has not been enough for her. There's seemingly no compromise that can um, appease her. She wants to stop this and she's gone to quite amazing lengths to try and stop it in terms of uh, lawsuits uh, and buying land around the project itself to to, to try and stymie it in, in some
2: ways. Uh, my name is Jason Kuchme and I'm an attorney. And I represent Connie Ehrlich, Jerry Ehrlich and Diane Servinka. Okay, since my Time is limited. I'm just going to go ahead and jump right in and probably talk a little faster than I normally do. But uh, uh, solar farms are not permitted uses in an agricultural district. They are only allowed if they meet the criteria for special exceptions. And it is Mammoth Solar's burden to prove that it meets each of the criteria. And if they fail to meet even one, their application must be denied. Um,
0: Norm used to be good friends with Connie. I mean, these were neighboring farmers. He knew her family. and uh, he was quite astonished when he decided to lease his land um, to this project that she would oppose it and and go to such lengths to oppose it. Um, And now the atmosphere is very bitter between them and and it's quite bitter in the community.
2: I'm just astounded, I really am. I cannot believe it. You know, she lives down in Lafayette and, and then she, she she, now shows up at every, you know, she, she wasn't at a, at a government meeting ever since she left here. And now she doesn't miss anything.
0: It doesn't look like there's any kind of um, making up between him and Connie happening anytime soon.
1: That Connie had actually bought up some land uh, neighbouring the farms. Can you tell me a bit about that? What's she doing with that?
0: Yeah, so I looked through the public records and it it seems that since 2020, uh, which is around uh, the time that this project started um, uh, gathering momentum, uh, Connie Ehrlich decided to spend $3 million of her own money on buying land uh, around uh, the edges of the project, including land that. it was just a mile from the, the edge of the project. This land included a variety of, of uh, farms and also, um, strangely, a cemetery. Uh, it's unclear okay, what she plans to do with this cemetery. With this anti yeah, kind of <laughs> <laughs> If you go to the offices of Doral in Winnemac, which is the the small town that acts as the kind of county seat of Plaquemine County. Connie Ehrlich has spent about $100,000 on the office very next door to her opponent, a former cigar store, and she turned it into essentially a giant kind of billboard attacking the solar company.
2: So she bought this. Here it is.
0: Really uses it as a kind of canvas for these um, these anti-solar posters that she puts in the window. There's also a kind of cartoon, that she's put up there of Joe Biden shoveling cash into the mouths of pigs and the pigs of the solar developers. Um, And, uh, you know, it's very emblematic of, I think, where America is as a country at the moment. It's a kind of quite bitterly divided place.
1: When you've tried talking to Connie Ehrlich about this, what she said?
0: Well, I've been trying to talk to Connie Ehrlich for months and I I want to know what motivates her. I mean, she's had six different lawsuits against this. Uh, She's kind of has a lawyer on this uh, pretty much non-stop. Her lawyer turns up at these public meetings to decry it and say the process has been a sham and it, it should be stopped. She's obviously passionate about this topic. Unfortunately, she's been... Um, quite consistent in her silence.
1: Can you tell me about what grounds there are for those lawsuits, and and how are they progressing? Has she been able to hold up the progress of this solar farm actually being developed?
0: So the the, the lawsuits essentially state that um, the rules weren't followed in the, allowing the approval of this um, of this solar farm that. the the special exemption given to it um, uh, to move it out of agricultural land was uh, was was erroneous shouldn't have been allowed it goes against the county's own laws that's her claim and and largely these have been uh, you know uh, dismissed by the courts although there was one recent victory she had where a judge ruled that uh, the developer had not um, applied properly for this exemption. And we'd have to redo that. Uh, so that's actually held things up. Um, the developers are very kind of bullish, saying, well, we'll get through this. We've got a very big legal budget. We're happy to, to keep um, going until until we get victory here. Um, but certainly um, she is proving to be an implacable foe. <laughs>
1: The developers, Dural Energy, have been having to reckon with all these vociferous oppositions. How far have they been able to actually get with working on this project? Then, you know, if you're if you're standing in that area, what can you actually see?
0: So they've already started uh, construction in Stark County and on Welker's land. You see these kind of rows of pilings with the uh, poles on top, ready for the, the solar panels to arrive from Malaysia and China to ins- to install. So they're pretty much there. They'll be f- finished that uh, next year at some point. Um, the Pulaski County part is delayed. There's no construction underway. There are lines on a map uh, of what it will look like. The landowners there have agreed um, to lease their lands to this project, but because of Connie Ehrlich's uh, opposition, there's actually nothing happening yet. So it's, uh, it's delayed things. It's uncertain when it's going to be actually finished. So it's a little bit up in the air as to when this project will actually uh, be underway.
1: Coming up, as Joe Biden arrives at COP27, what's his plan for renewable energy?
0: I'm Shantae Joseph, I'm a writer and broadcaster and I spend way too much time online. But now those years of scrolling are finally paying off because I'm hosting The Guardian's new pop culture podcast. In each episode, I'm going to get under the skin of the week's biggest stories. If you love pop culture and want to get into how it's shaping and impacting our lives, then you should join me every Thursday. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Out now. Bye.
1: Oliver, you're not in the Midwest anymore. You're actually in Sharm el-Sheikh in Egypt for COP27, where delegates are going to be meeting to discuss possible solutions to the climate crisis. How important is solar power going to be in terms of the US trying to reach its climate goals?
0: It's going to be very important indeed. I mean, uh, Joe Biden has set this goal of cutting emissions in half this decade and then essentially zeroing them out by uh, 2050. And so you've got this huge change that needs to happen to shift away from coal and predominantly uh, gas to renewables um, and, and nuclear. So solar is going to form a very large part of that. Large parts of the US are very conducive for solar, if you think about areas like Florida and uh, the southwest US, you get a lot of sun. Um, even Indiana, uh, where this project is, it gets enough sun to, to make it viable to have these um, uh, solar panels. By one estimation, uh, solar production will, is going to have to grow more than 20-fold, occupying an area that together will be about the size of West Virginia, covered in solar panels. If the US is going to get to these goals, that is a significant fraction of, of of land that will be used, and land is contested. Land is uh, valuable. Um, people see great value and, and connection to land, and um, there's there's certainly going to be opposition to to um, using it for solar. So yeah, I think Joe Biden faces many obstacles in this quest to shift America to, uh, away from uh, fossil fuels because um, building out uh, a kind of new industry in in such a huge and sweeping way. He's going to upset a lot of people.
1: Well, from what you're saying, it's going to be a tricky task. But I know that Joe Biden has made a commitment to investing in renewables. In Earlier this year, in August, he signed in this incredibly expensive climate, health care and tax package called the Inflation Reduction Act.
2: Environmental activists, students and young people, advocates for senior citizens and families... This is what it looks like when the American government works for the people.
1: Which is going to put $360 billion towards renewable energy. What difference do experts say that could make?
0: It should be transformational, really. It should really kickstart this shift away from fossil fuels to renewables and put the US within striking distance of these emission reduction goals. By various estimates, it should cut emissions by about 40% by the end of this decade, uh, which you know, is, is kind of getting there when it comes to Biden's goal of cutting them in half. I now mean, that depends on various kind of factors, depends on the economy, depends on kind of take up and so on. But there are such generous tax breaks in there for uh, renewable developers such as solar farm developers and such kind of generous terms to people to go out and buy electric cars that um yeah all the all the analysts feel that it should um, make a really significant difference when it comes to cutting emissions that the problem is that is implementing that you have uh, this kind of localized opposition um, uh, to to solar and to wind um, so it's not something that the federal government can impose top down in, in most instances it, it comes down to kind of counties and cities and states that decide where these where these projects are sited. And you have um, ongoing political opposition at the national level with the Republican Party is still um, he's not uh, overtly opposed to renewables, but certainly opposed to anything that has climate in the name. And uh, Joe Biden has staked his reputation, his administration on acting on climate and the Republicans would love nothing better than to uh, scupper that.
1: It's very interesting, really, when you think of of what a politically divided situation this must be in the US, much more so than in many other countries, right? Because like on the coastal states where you have more democratic support, that's not going to be where these solar farms are going to be built, is it?
0: No, that's right. The cell is going to be in Republican rural areas. And, you know, the the cell is that actually they're going to benefit from this. They're going to get the income from these projects on their land um, they're going to get payments they wouldn't normally get, they, they're going to get this kind of economic transfusion when uh, a lot of these areas are declining they're losing people, they're losing industry so there is a kind of a positive message that Biden and, and others are trying to sell on this but but certainly there is, uh, the politics is so divided, it's so toxic that even the idea of this liberal dream of renewable energy being opposed upon them these new projects come sprouting up in the backyard, where they'd never seen it before. they have never seen anything like this before. And Indiana is um, anathema to many people.
1: Joe Biden's just flown in for COP27. How much influence can he have at this conference?
0: I mean, Biden is obviously a hugely influential figure as the President of the United States. Um, He carries great weight kind of diplomatically. And I think in these talks, Biden is emboldened by the passage of the Inflation Reduction Act. He can come to them and say, well, look, the US has been a little bit unreliable when it comes to dealing with climate change in the past, but, uh, you know, we've finally passed this bill, um, it shows that we're back in the game it shows that we're serious about this that you know America's kind of all in on uh, transitioning away from fossil fuels so he has a kind of good story to tell. Uh, unfortunately back home the politics are so divided and the Republicans are keen to undercut that uh, message at uh, any opportunity that is not entirely certain how reliable the US will be. Say if Donald Trump wins the next election Republicans have control of Congress Uh, There's no likelihood of any new climate legislation and, in fact, the existing bill could be undermined in various ways. Um, So uh, it's still still very tenuous, still very shaky.
1: Do you think anyone that you spoke to in northwest Indiana will be watching what's going on at COP27? How far removed does that feel to them?
0: I think it feels like a world away. I don't think they'll be looking at cop 27 as being much relation to their to their lives at all Um, farming is often uh, a long tough job follows long days and i think people are very much focused on that i think it's only when something like this development comes along that the reality of the changes underway in our world becomes clear to them this is something they cannot avoid this is not something they can uh, kind of overlook or, or downplay or or pretend it isn't happening. This is a, you know, a solar farm the size of Manhattan in their in their backyards. So um, that that is the reality to them.
1: So as you were driving away from that area from Northwest Indiana, what were your thoughts on what this project represents about the development of solar energy more broadly in the US?
0: I mean, it kind of underlined a few things to me. I think it underlined that um, people have a very strong connection to home and, and, and what home means to them what tradition means to them what um you know kind of a lifestyle around them looks like and how that should be preserved um, I think it also shows the challenges of trying to build out a clean energy economy to transition away from fossil fuels you're going to have to build a lot of stuff it's not just we're going to shut down some kind of coal plants and, and that's it. You're going to actually have to build a lot of things. You're going to build a lot of solar farms. Um, uh, about 20 times as much in terms of areas currently covers the U.S. is going to be covered in solar panels. If if the U.S. is going to cut its emissions to zero, you're going to need huge uh, wind farms onshore and offshore. You're going to need transmission lines crisscrossing the nation. I mean, all of this takes time and money and it takes land that people are obviously connected to um, people have a very deep connection to the land that, and a lot of people don't like the idea of change uh, of these things running in their in their backyards so what what made me think is that that um, if if Joe Biden really is going to um, get this vision of a renewable America up and running he's going to have to get into all these kind of fights kind of locally across the country uh, there's going to be thousands of Connie Ehrlichs across the U.S. trying to stop these kind of projects and um, uh, many of them will succeed in in halting them and um, it's, it's uncertain uh, exactly how successful the transition will be because of that.
1: Oliver thank you so much. Thank you. That was Oliver Milman. You can keep up with his reporting from cop at theguardian.com. And while you're there, there's a new documentary out following Fiona Harvey, our environment editor, as she speaks to global leaders, climate activists and scientists about the challenges and possible solutions to climate change. The film's called Whose Job Is It To Save The Planet?, And you can find it at theguardian.com forward slash documentaries. This episode was produced by Ruth Abrahams and sound designed by Rudy Zagadlo. The executive producer was Phil Maynard. I hope you have a great weekend. We'll be back on Monday.